Um, I have a story for you. If you guys, cardiac examination, that's not, that's not a mistake. That's what I titled my sermon. <laughs> cardiac examination, what in the world? Uh, it just came to me. I think it's brilliant myself. And the only reason I have this, Roy supplied it for me, look. Because if I had a diagram of a heart, I'd show you the ventricles, and I'd show you the aortic valve, and I'd show Because it sounds like I'm a doctor. And that's the only time I'm going to be able to use this and that word in one, one time. So enlighten me, church family, online friends and family. You can't see what I'm doing, but I have a laser pointer, and it's phenomenal. Uh, if you know or if you don't know, I'm going to fill you in on what happened with my family just recently, and it's traumatic, so brace yourselves. Just a couple of days ago, uh, weeks ago, sorry, about two weeks ago, uh, we love getting little family pictures, pictures before church, and we take pictures of the family, and they climb trees, and it's a great way for us to capture the life of our family by week, and it's pretty awesome. So our son was in the tree right out back here, the devil's tree, we call it, and you'll see why, uh, because he was in the tree, and his foot slipped, and as he slipped, he slid down the tree, and a little nub of a branch where it was pruned caught him on the chest and lacerated his chest. Yahtzee! Let me say that word again. Lacerate. I'm telling you, that word alone cuts. Yeah. And so he had a deep, uh, deep cut, and it was not in a great place on his chest. And so we immediately took him from here uh, to get it looked at. And uh, where we took him, I'm going to make this long story really short. Where we took him was a traumatic event because he had to get stitches. And it, can you imagine a four-year-old watching stitches being placed into his body? He was not sedated, so he was watching everything um, and kicking and screaming and all this took place. Lord Jesus, help us. So we called the devil. Even when we parked there this morning, he said, why are we parking by that tree? <laughs> ah, Stoney, don't you worry. We'll curse that tree. <laughs> so anyway, this is the week where the stitches had to come out. They were not dissolvable, friends. They were not dissolvable. We, our mistake, number two. Um, and so we had to do it. And so here's David. I have a laser pointer. And I use big words, right? I'm, I'm going to take them out myself. I'm going to do it. This was my plan, and I thought this was a good plan. I, I have PTSD. I experienced trauma. Little man experienced trauma. We're not going back to any office with that smell that gives you a headache right away. We're not going to do that stuff. So I'm going to do it. He will call me lay for me because I'm his father, and I will be able to simply remove stitch by stitch 11 stitches in his chest. And help him. And my friends, this is not your straight linear laceration. It was curved like a curveball, man. It was a corkscrew. Um, so it was an angled thing, and it was, ne- it was not good. Anyway, it didn't work. I tried and tried, and I, there was candy involved. There were movies involved, TV shows involved. He had his favorite cloth that he sleeps with at night, and I could not physically pin him down. And then Kathy came and pinned him down and get. So we got to the point where I had him and I had, you know, tweezers and scissors and Kathy was on top of him and he was breathing heavy enough that his chest was going up and I couldn't physically do it. So I lost my cool. I confess that. Uh, he for sure lost his cool. In the middle of this, I said, Stone, stop. I'm trying to help you. We have to take these stitches out. If you leave them in too long, they will hurt you. They have to come out of your body. That's what has to happen here. And it might not feel good, but I have to do it. And so in that moment, as I was trying to convince my son something I could do, the Lord said, yeah, David, you have to get them out. <laughs> so in my own things, I'm thinking, holy cow, I'm preaching to myself now. It just hit me. 
I have got my own stitches in my mind. I've got my own, allow me, I'm coming off story now. I got my, I've got my own things in my heart that if they don't come out, they will hurt me. So if you guys allow me the humility this morning to present to you chapter 4 of Jonah, we're going to look at some stitches that need to be taken out of our corporate heart, I believe. And I humbly say this before you as one of the pastors here and as someone who loves this church family. The Western church has to wake up, and that's us included. Because the Lord is calling us to do something for his kingdom mission, not just for our comforts and our joys. And that's difficult. And that requires us interacting with people that maybe we wouldn't think we'd interact with. Or that makes us look into the inner recesses of our heart and say, what are those things that need to come out to be able to give health and well-being rather than a continual trip up? And so as Stone got his stitches removed, it was another traumatic event. Let's just say he got a snow cone and he got a toy. Because I don't know what else to do at that moment. I'm just being honest with you. It was miserable. So here we go. Cardiac examination. I'm going to read to us Jonah 4. And I, I ask you, humbly, open up your life before the Lord. As the word is read, let's look and see where are we that we would align with the kingdom of God and not just what we think it should look like. Amen? amen. Online family, amen? amen? Hey, see, we can do both and. Jonah 4. Bam, here we go. You can't read that. But I can read it for you. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That is a wild uh, text that repeats oftentimes in the Old Testament, specifically it was given in Exodus, as God defining himself. So it's a very important piece there. Joel also said it. But this is a definition of God's own character that, that Jonah is using to pray back to God. Is I know who you are, and I know what you're going to do, and I don't like it. And that was my problem in the first place, and now you're going to do it. So here, he's going on. Let's keep going here. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. So his plan is to see if God's really going to do what he's going to do. He's going to wait him out and look and see, is there going to be disaster or not? Because he has just preached. Right? He, and they just confessed, and the Lord is relenting. So now he's going out to see after these 40 days, is, is the Lord going to come through and destroy it or not? Right? He sets up his booth. He thinks he's doing really good. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, so the wind then coming off the desert. Uh, Nineveh, if you, can, if you track with this, is in modern-day um, Mosul, Iraq. So the reality is it's in the smack-dab middle of the desert. So an east wind coming off the desert, then, is it's scorching hot wind. So he sets up a hut for himself, which is good. good idea if you're in the desert. The Lord gives him a plant, a shade, Phenomenal if you're in the desert. 
So that shade is now gone, and then this, this awful wind is coming in and hitting him that is scorching hot. Okay, this is good context. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, so they are spiritually and socially ignorant. And also much cattle. The Lord throws in cattle there, I think because it's a snapshot of Jonah and where he is. He's willing to care for the plant, which gave him so much food, which gave him shade and, and comfort in life. So he says, you might not care for these, these people who are ignorant of the way they're living, but at least maybe you'll have compassion on cattle because you have compassion on a plant. And, um, and then the writer ends it right there in a question, which is very, very interesting and makes, makes us then, as the readers, ask this question. Do we have a heart like the heart of God? Because the question is not answered in the text. So it leaves us on a cliffhanger. Jonah, you care for this plant. You're frustrated at the worm. Everything that you thought you had in comfort in life is taken from you, and you would rather die than to see something else take place. And so the question we have left is, do we have a heart like the heart of God? I'm going to give you a little bit of context into what's happening here for the life of Jonah. If you can follow my sweet map, because it's sweet, Um, again, you can't read it, but that's cool. Um, if you can look at the map camera, I'm, I'm right here. You can hear my voice. Um, this is obviously Israel. This right here, Gath-Hefer, is where Jonah is born, where he's from. Uh, Joppa is where he sailed from. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, right, spot on. I will go this way to modern-day Spain. Complete opposite direction, Tarshish. Just so you guys get an idea of what's going on here. It's not just like I messed up and got on the wrong bus. This is a deliberate, I asked my son to pick up his toys, and he said no to me. There's some repercussion that happens there, right? The Lord sends a storm. This is what I really love about the Lord, is in his sovereignty and in his providential care of Jonah and the Ninevites, he appoints and he appoints and he appoints. He appointed Jonah to do something. Jonah, fa Jonah failed. He appointed a whale. The whale was uh, successful, right? It did his job. Spat Jonah up on the shore. He appoints a plant, he appoints a worm, and he appoints a wind. There's a massive amount of the sovereignty of God over his creation to get his mission accomplished, even when the chosen one born to be the mouthpiece of God wouldn't do it. Don't, don't wait so long to be obedient to the Lord that he has to discipline you or direct you or show you through his own created order the things that you should be doing. Some people call that a conscience. You know, your conscience won't let you do those things. Uh, and I agree with that. I like that. I tend to, to like the word revelation more. My revelation doesn't allow me to be that lax. It picks at me and picks at me and picks at me. Until I, until I know I'm in the will of the Lord, until I'm, I'm, I'm living in his obedience to accomplish what he's asked me to do. This is why I put up this sweet map, all right? 
Um, this area right above, see where it says Assyria? Um, Jonah, had, Jonah was actually prophesying during the time of Jeroboam II. And we can see that in 2 Kings 14. And something that's very interesting is one of the, the prophecies that he had directed towards the king was that the Lord was going to restore some of the northern kingdom of Israel. So uh, a lot of Israel, this is divided, Israel and Judah, and a lot of the land was taken. And so under Jehoash, he began um, being able to regain some of the land, and then Jeroboam II came, and Jeroboam II, through the Lord's allowance, because he was a nasty guy who was disobedient, but the Lord had compassion on his people. He allowed Jeroboam II to move up into some of the land of Syria where the Assyrians ruled and overtake it back to its original spot. So by the time that Jonah was prophesying and living, the kingdom of Israel was about at the same capacity as it was when Solomon was king. So it's flourishing again. So if you get this in your mind, Jonah is coming from a perspective of prosperity. You understand that? His word and his prophetic message and a lot of what he did was, this is what God will bring back to you as, as my people because he's compassionate and because he's kind. And so it was great words. I, those are words that I want spoken to me. Everything that you lost basically is going to come back. You will have victory over the uh, Syrians in this land that, that was taken from you will be returned and your borders will be broadened. So he's coming off of that kind of a victory. Now fast forward to what he calls his people to do because they're still disobedient. These words go from this prosperity thing to a repenting, relenting. And here we have Amos and Hosea and, and pr prophets that are coming in to say, turn back to the Lord and obey him. This is what will now happen to you for your sin. And so here we are now. This is why I have this sweet map. Israel is here. That's where uh, Israel, right where that word is, is, is what was brought back after the reign of Jeroboam II. And this little dot right here, if you can see that, it's Gath Hefer, is where uh, Jonah was born. So he also has stake in the game because about 10 kilometers from where he was born were these border nations that were taken back by the king Jeroboam II. So his own hometown benefited from what the Lord gave back to Israel. You following me? I'm sharing that with you for this reason. In his mindset, he has a political understanding of how Israel should be the stake in the land. So not only are they the chosen people, they are the political ruling power in these kind of things that are taking place. So his, everything that he is saying and prophesying is about success and prosperity and borders being drawn out. And now the Lord is using him to come into a nation that is Assyrian, his enemies, that is far away from his hometown, and is a, and, and, which is over here. Here we go. And uh, prophesy to them that they would be part of the same thing that Jonah thought was only his. You understanding what I'm saying and going with that? It's a very, very interesting, interesting thing because it shows us the context and the heart of where Jonah is as he comes in to prophesy to Nineveh and maybe why he was so reluctant in going. He didn't want to share that same kind of success and victory. He thought that his nationality as God's chosen people and the borders of his country were more important in some sense because it represented ownership of God than someone else participating who was an enemy in the same benefit of a kingdom relationship. You understand what I'm saying? One question that I'm going to ask you later on in the sermon, because I'm asking you, does your heart look like the heart of God? 
is do you tell God what to do or does God tell you what to do? And this is a very, very difficult thing because we are so easily come to the Lord and, and tell him how we feel and tell him what we want. And we claim it in his name. But remember, the roles are often switched because we have a victorious eschatology, which is fantastic. But that does not mean that we are Jesus himself. He is the one who rules and reigns. And we fall under submission to his throne and his rule. At the same time as us having power to pray and faith to understand and receive things is a humble heart before God to say, you are the master, you are the creator, and you are the ruler. You are the one that sets boundaries. You are the one that forms and shapes countries and lands. So as we go on here, I just wanted to make a couple of um, interesting comparisons. A comparison between two prayers. Stephen preached this two weeks ago was when he broke down and looked at Jonah's first prayer after being uh, rescued from the whale. You guys remember this? And it was very honest, and it was very humble to say, you've brought me from the pit, and you've spat me on land, and there's amazing things going on there. The way that that prayer is written and the way that the prayer at the beginning of chapter 4 is written makes you kind of look at the two and compare because they start similarly. But something that I throw out there is very interesting. When Jonah is saved... He is gung-ho about the Lord and saying, you saved me, you brought me out, I need you, I love you, I'm ready. Now the prayer after the Ninevites are saved is, I want to die. So what is happening in this man's heart? Is having to share the same God, the same ownership of who he thought was his with someone else. And have someone else be enveloped into the kindness and the benefits of the covenant in the salvific nature of being relented from a disaster to be able to participate in no life. And they're his enemies. So look at this. God's compassion is derived towards others. He appoints. We talked about this. He appointed a whale. He appointed plant. He appointed a wind. He appointed a worm. Throughout the entire story, he appoints and rules over his creation. He relents. He has every right to totally destroy Jonah, first and foremost, and the Ninevites. But God is kind and compassionate in his, in his character, and he shows and he relents in the way that he acts towards them. And the last thing is he saves. Uh, when we look at Jonah's anger, and specifically his praise, we say it's totally selfish. It's derived towards his own thing, his own desires and his own passions and his own expectation of what it looks like uh, believing that Israel is the place for political security and glory. And so he is disobedient. He runs away. He distorts and, and changes God's message to do what he wants to do by going the very opposite direction and by trying to hide from God himself. And then he is in massive discomfort. The entire story, he is just going from... Uh, Difficulty to difficulty with moments of jubilation that seem kind of fake, right? Because his life was saved. Um, as we look at this, we see a complete difference, an utter difference between God's compassion that is others-based and Jonah's anger, Jonah's attitude, which is all about himself. So as we move to, towards this, I want to ask the same question. Do we have a heart like the heart of God? Does God serve us or do we serve him? The question at the end of the book is, is left unanswered. And it reads this way. Should I not pity Nineveh, 
that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. God in his mercy is not limited to boundaries or national borders. He does as he wills with whom he wills to do it. Does the compassion of the Lord look like resting under a tree to save you from hardship, or could it be the destruction of what you think is comfort to wake you up to the reality of life? Some of Jonah's most precious times in this entire story were when he experienced comfort for himself. Do you guys see that in the story? He ran trying to get away from something that he didn't want to do. And, and so I got the call actually just recently that I was preaching today, which is fantastic. I love, I love bringing God's word and doing it with you guys, my family. But as soon as Stephen uh, called me and told me that, I thought, Jonah? <laughs> I thought, preaching? Uh, the very first thing that I wanted to do, and maybe this is new to me. I, I'm figuring myself out a little bit, to be honest with you, after the quarantine and all the rest, is run. The very first thing that I wanted to do was to get away. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to prepare. I didn't want to think. I didn't want to be challenged. I didn't want my heart to be cut. It's so easy for me just to run. I like the beach. I really love a mocktail. I'm saying that because that's safe, you know what I'm saying? But I really enjoy my can of Pepsi on the beach, Daryl. Uh, the reality of the comforts and the things that we associate for ourselves that we think are benefiting us. But if I really take a step back and I take a moment in prayer and just think, the false expectation and reality of me to try to find comfort for myself away from the will of God is just a lie that, I can try to, that I'm believing. Comfort is often king. If we really evaluate what is the most important thing to us in life, so I'm going to say it maybe this way. Where your time goes and where your money goes. What does it reveal about you? One of the things that I have been so, as I'm taking stitches out of my own heart, is that I really, really, really enjoy being comfortable. I enjoy having the comforts of life. And I enjoy absorbing those things for myself to not have to do anything that's difficult. And when I say difficult, that means confronting sin of any kind, within my heart or within others. Um, doing things that are, that are out of my comfort zone, like speaking about Jesus in public places, like potentially preaching in front of people. The things that I often find in myself that I want to run away from are the things that God is calling me to. So I am so hard on Jonah when I look at the text. But really when I reflect on it, I say, Lord, forgive me, please. My heart is often similar to Jonah's in that I just seek the comforts of my own life to get away from the things that I don't want to do because I have everything here that I need. I'm going to confess this to you guys. I didn't really understand that we were at war. Do you know we're still at war currently? War on terror, right? I didn't know that we were at war until it affected my life, until my brother was deployed. Selfish, right? Um, I'm going to confess this to you. This is a big one, and I'm being honest with you guys because I disagree with it wholeheartedly. But I, abortion and the idea of abortion and all those things didn't hit me home until I had kids, and specifically until I had miscarriages, until my wife and I suffered the loss of things. I, I disagree with it 
scripturally understand it, the heart of the matter didn't take root in me until I saw the face of a child that, that means something. And that's not against you as a family if you've experienced those things. I'm confessing things in my heart to say, the Lord is drawing me towards, towards deeper things. COVID wasn't a necessity in my life until I heard of loved ones that have lost loved ones and saw the pain that they've experienced. Then I'm even going to go further. Racial issues in St. Louis don't affect me. I don't feel the effects of race things upon my life until it affects those that I love. And now it affects me because I'm, I'm in kingdom ownership with them. You understand that? We, we, don't, we often don't participate in things unless it applies to me. What I'm asking us to do is to check the stitches of your heart to say, does it have to apply or affect you just to be something that you'll stand up for? And if I, please hear that in the right way. But I challenge myself to say, if we, if we proclaim a kingdom banner, you know, Jonah started out the very beginning of this book by saying, who are you? And he said, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the God of Hebrews. And I fear the God of Hebrews. But if you look at the book, there's no sense of fear at all in his life. And I, and I think it's so easy for us as a church, Western church, because we have the comforts of life given to us to not understand the holiness and the fear of God, which grips us towards action towards action, excuse me. And so what I'm pressing us in is, when will the church stand for what is the heart of God? The kingdom. Let's not wait until it affects us. Let's see what needs to be done and live it. If you're going to run, run to God and his purposes, not away from him, and potential hardship of unmet expectation. God's mission is more important than our comfort or our expectations. Match your actions with your vernacular. Because I know it's there. We have the intention to do the kingdom of God. We know it all. We are brilliantly discipled and taught from what our apostle and from what Mike has taught us and what we have generationally as New Covenant Church. So now what does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ where we are that we would effect change for the kingdom in our workplace and in our homes? Jonah feared God, but he did what he wanted. If we truly fear the Lord, we will hear and obey what he calls us to today. So let's respond. Sometimes the Lord appoints a worm. Uh, the reality for us is that God's going to get his mission accomplished regardless. Instead of missing the opportunity to stand for him, let's be a part of what he's doing and shine for him. When we often have the comforts of life overseeing us, don't wait for the worm to come to snap you back into reality. Don't long for the comforts that you missed more than the reality for the mission of God to be realized, if you can hear that. The Lord was kind to Jonah. And as we look through the story, it's crazy because we see actually the way that people acted in the story were, were more Christ-like the further away they were from God. So who cared more about humanity? Were the sailors and the captain who didn't want people to perish. The king of Nineveh, who heard an eight-word sermon and made his nation repent, caring for the people and not the destruction. And then we come to Jonah, whose heart is calloused because he had an expectation and a nationality and a brand and a glory for Israel, who couldn't bear the thought of uh, 
is enemies being saved because of what that may represent. Don't care more for the plant or the worm. Care for the mission of God. I challenge you, brothers and sisters, to check your own heart. What stitches need to be, would need to come out? That we can see what needs to happen and make the proper uh, actions to see that realized in our lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, we honor you. And we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your mission. And we thank you for your call. Thank you for not um, looking over us, Father, but for including us. And so I pray for New Covenant Church, Lord, that we would be a pillar in this city. That the words that we have would be matched with actions that we take to follow through with a kingdom mandate of restoration. That we would uphold your heart. And that as we look at the book of Jonah and as this question is posed to us at the very end, Lord, we want our hearts to match your heart. We want to have hearts of compassion, hearts of action, hearts of purpose. That regardless of our expectation, regardless of our own sin issues, regardless of the things that go on within us, you would, Lord Jesus, uh, continue to use and motivate and restore us to look more like you and to use us in, your, in this place in particular. Father, forgive us for where we want to run. Forgive me, Lord, for where I want to run. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, for a fresh revelation today that you would help us to see the king in his kingdom experience and practice the covenant and serve your mandate of restoration. We love you. We are committed to you. And Lord Jesus, may we show it with our hands and feet. We honor you today in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.